Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's gospel reading from Luke is about religion and politics. You're not supposed to discuss these things in polite company, right? Well, no one's ever accused me of being polite. The Pharisees and Herod. The blending of religion and politics is always an occasion to be very, very cautious. In the book of Revelation, which we just finished studying in our Bible class a couple of months ago, religion and politics blended together are the recipe for trouble and persecution. Take one part religion, one part politics, bring them together with the devil, and you have the perfect recipe of Antichrist. Whether it's the emperor cult in the first century Roman Empire, the kingdom of Mohammed, the medieval papacy, the Third Reich of Adolf Hitler, or any other unholy alliance of religious and political authority, whenever the two get together, there is sure to be trouble and bloodshed. So the Pharisees in our reading today come to Jesus and they want it to seem like they're on his side. Herod has a warrant out for your arrest. Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. There's a death threat on your head, Jesus. You don't want to get yourself killed now, do you? Get out while you still can. Of course, the Pharisees were scheming to do the same exact thing. They'd been plotting this for over a year. They just couldn't agree on when and how to do it. Well, it's friends like that, right? Who needs enemies? But Jesus seems completely unconcerned by the whole thing. You go and tell that old fox, I still got work to do. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. There are demons to cast out. There are people to heal, sick people to heal. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. And Jesus here has tongue firmly planted in cheek. On the third day, I will reach my goal. All the important stuff in the Bible happens on the third day. But you probably knew that already. Jesus knew what was in store for him in Jerusalem. He'd already predicted it. That he would suffer, that he would die, and on the third day he would rise. Death threats from two-bit imposter kings are of no concern to Jesus whatsoever. He is the Lord. He lays down his life on his own terms. When the crowd wants to throw him off a cliff, as we heard a few weeks ago, he slips right on through without a scratch. He runs the show. Last week you heard how he battled with the devil in the wilderness using nothing but the word of God. He fears nothing of Herod or of any other king, for that matter. When he stands before Pilate at his civil trial, he offered no defense. He's reminded Pilate here that Pilate's authority came from above and that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. So threats from Herod mean nothing. And then Jesus goes on to zing the Pharisees as well. He knows what's on their minds. He knows that they're plotting to kill him too and that all this talk of concern for his safety is just blowing smoke. I must go on my way today 
and tomorrow and the day following, another three days. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. That's quite a zing. If the prophet is going to die, it's going to be in Jerusalem. History has shown this over and over again. Jerusalem, the holy city, is where prophets go to die. Jerusalem had a reputation when it came to prophets. Take Jeremiah, for example, from our Old Testament reading, whose ministry didn't exactly flourish in Jerusalem. He was arrested, he was thrown into a pit, and his books were burned. According to tradition, the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two inside a hollow log in Jerusalem. The New Testament crew didn't fare any better either. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death in Jerusalem by no less than the religious high court. James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John the fisherman, was killed by Herod in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had a reputation for shutting down the prophets. Jeremiah knew that. He counted the cost but didn't seem to care either. Do whatever you want with me, Jeremiah says. But rest assured that if you put me to death, you will bring the guilt of innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and on those who live in it. Jerusalem was steeped in innocent blood. It was in Jerusalem that Pilate washed his hands of Jesus' blood and declared, I am innocent of this man's blood. And also in Jerusalem where the people cried out, let his blood be on us and on our children, not really knowing what they meant. It was in the temple in Jerusalem, the seat of religion in Israel and Judah, the seat of religion that Judas tried to give back the money paid to betray Jesus because he had betrayed, quote, innocent blood. And the priests refused to take it back because it was blood money. So instead they bought what was called a field of blood with it. Jerusalem had a bloody history from its mysterious origins. The blood of sacrifices and Passover lambs and prophets and martyrs and Jesus, God's lamb, the final and ultimate blood, the one that atones for the sin of the whole world. Politics and religion hated Jesus. They eventually got him crucified. See, on the one hand, religion charged him with blasphemy. He dared to say that he was the son of God. And then politics nailed him for treason. He said he was a king. The whole world of political power has no use for a king who rides in humility, who dies for his people. A king without palace, without royal robes, without crown except one made out of thorns. The power brokers of Jesus' day were Pontius Pilate and King Herod. And those two died in disgrace and disappeared from history. Jesus died and rose from the dead and not only made history, but redeemed all of human history. All of human history was pointing to this moment that Jesus rose victorious from the grave. He completed all of it. That's why he said what he did. It is finished. Politics cannot save. Only Jesus can. 
Trust not in princes, the psalmist says, in mortal men who cannot save. But also, religion had no use for Jesus either. That sounds strange, I know, but it really is true. Jesus is really the end of religion, and religion knows it. He ran roughshod over the traditions of men. He claimed God as his father. He interpreted the law without the need to consult all the years of experts who had come before. He unleashed a law that even the most strident pietist could not handle. Be perfect. Be holy. Keep every law down to the tiniest letter, the least stroke of a pen. In your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, don't bargain with God. Do the commandments and you will live. There were no loopholes in Jesus' interpretation of the law. Trying hard, doing your best is not righteousness. Self-improvement won't cut it. And so Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're out. If you're not more religious than the religious of the religious, you're out of luck. You won't see the kingdom of God. Nor will they. And don't think the memo was lost on the ones hearing this either. They got it. Because even more so, beyond making the law impossible to keep, as a means of salvation. Jesus revealed an unconditional love and mercy of God to the religious losers, to sinners, to those who couldn't do religion perfectly in its outward forms and keep up with the who's who of religious piety. He put the losers in front, the winners in the back, and he spun everything and everyone on their heads. He taught that mercy not merit is where the action is. And that the way to avoid God's judgment and to stand before a holy God justified was not to improve yourself, but to die to yourself and to trust Jesus to do all the heavy lifting for your salvation. It drives our Lord to tears of lament. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Killing prophets, stoning those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her brood of chicks under her wings, but you would not. He mourns over what politics and religion have done to the city that was supposed to be God's footstool on earth. He mourns over their unbelief their reliance on worldly power, their rejection of the word and all the prophets who had spoken it. And notice this. Every single time Jerusalem killed a prophet, every time Jerusalem shut her ears to the word, it was Christ who they rejected. How often I have longed to gather you, he says. The old mother hen has been clucking away for centuries through priest and prophet, through Torah and scribe, calling out to her children, but they would not. They would not listen and they would not come. They would not trust. They would not believe. They would not abandon all of their idolatries and their adulteries. 
They would not live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They would not receive the one who had come to save them. And this breaks Jesus' own heart. This is his city, his temple, his throne, yet he is entirely unrecognized, unwanted, even hated by them, the ones he came to save. He came to his own, John says, and his own did not receive him. We're reminded here that salvation is always by grace, gift unearned, always by the mercy of God. The Son of God has to walk this path alone for us, for you, for all. He spreads his wings over the city that wants him dead, over a world that considers him a stranger, an alien, a nuisance, an imposter, or a fraud. He spreads those arms wide to embrace every sinner and every sin in the only death that saves, the only kind of death that brings life. And so their house, once filled with the glory of God, is desolate. The mound that once held the temple of God today is a mosque. The land, once called the promised land, is now target practice for her enemies. You would not. It's a warning to each one of us. Do not presume on the mercies of God. Do not say that we have tomorrow and the next day ahead. We don't have that for sure. Because now is the time. Today is the day. Now is the day of your salvation. Now is the moment of repentance. Those tears that Jesus shed over lamenting over the holy city, he sheds over his church too. Whenever she rejects the word, in favor of silly programs, grand institutions, her coziness with the world of politics and religion. The Spirit of Christ seeks to call, gather, enlighten, sanctify, and keep. And if you're left out of the party, don't blame God, but blame yourselves. You would not. Within each of us, Beats the heart of a sinner. The old Adam who uses religion as a means to an end. Who uses God as a tool of power. Who uses politics to control others and to bend others to conform to the will of the almighty need. Left on our own, we would not, too. Left on our own, we would not deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus on the path of death and resurrection. We would not. Jerusalem has a future. It's not the future that we see today as religion and politics try to control Jerusalem. Jerusalem of today is a hollow shell, a relic of the past, but the next time that this holy city appears in the Bible, it comes down from above, from heaven, as a beautiful bride dressed for her wedding day, glorious, radiant, spotless, glorious, descending and processing down from heaven. This Jerusalem we see in Revelation is redeemed, restored, and raised up. Her murders have been atoned for in the death of God's Son. The blood shed in her streets has been washed by the blood of the Lamb of God who walked those streets. 
The streets once littered with stones cast in hatred are now paved with pure, translucent gold. The prophets and apostles she killed are now her firm foundation. In Christ, the lamb who died at her gates is the lamb enthroned, her light and her life. That's your city. That's your hometown, even though you may not know it yet. You are free citizens of that city, made holy by the blood of the Lamb. Your citizenship is in heaven, as Paul said. Your baptism is your citizenship papers. You are citizens of heavenly Jerusalem, God's free city, redeemed in the death of Jesus, raised in his resurrection, glorified in him, and soon to be seen in glory when he appears in glory on the last day. Then you too will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. The peace of our God that surpasses all of our human understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.